Warning. Conspiracy culture is a shadow cast by hierarchical society. The reality bifurcation of the coronavirus era is the result of uneven information distribution and hierarchical secrecy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast, and we are your hosts, Sean and Aaron. Election fraud, part two. It's here. It's time to investigate the investigation. Yeah. Turn the tables. <laughs> on the investigators themselves, on us. Yeah, but Have no, the tables been turned on us? The tables were already turned on us, and now we're turning them back oh. to continue the investigation. It represents a whole turn. Ah, thank God. <laughs> but yeah, it's the thrilling conclusion. We're going to let you know whether the person we were debating changed their mind, whether they moved from one half of the reality bifurcation over to our half, or if one of us moved over to their half and now believes Trump won the election maybe that's how it ends we don't know yet because we're not at the end of the episode yeah we've been keeping that secret because in storytelling well i won't get into it <laughs> yeah if you'll notice since the election we've never specifically said what we believe we've been conspicuously silent on this issue <laughs> but we will be speaking up loud at the end of this episode so when we were going into this we didn't want to just make fun of this guy, just yell at him and expect him to change his mind, you know, even if that was sort of the feeling, the instinct at some points. We tried to do the research. I'm not going to be modest about this. We put in a Herculean effort. We put in way too much effort, way more effort than someone should in these circumstances when someone is just refusing to even read the links they're posting themselves. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of examples of that. A lot of medical studies about coronavirus stuff that just you open it up and it's literally exactly wrong like yeah, i'm not proud of this but he linked me to a blog which made a bunch of claims that masks are bad and it had citations at the bottom and there was something between 20 this was a little while ago now something between 22 and 27 sources there of medical papers and stuff and i did sort of a review of and I, i'll admit i didn't read every word of every one but i did look at every individual one of them and i believe all of them except for one recommended the use of masks explicitly <laughs> and that was the sources for the blog that he was using to say that masks don't I, work yeah oh i remember one about vaccine side effects that i looked into it was like some absurdly high number of people are having negative side effects from these vaccines and you look at the study and it turns out that number one it was a preliminary study that had the specific group of people who experienced the rate of side effects that was being reported in the blog headline had like double or four times the dose of the current standard dose. And also the absurdly high number included side effects like sore arm or raised welt on the, it also included worse things, but like the, the percentage of just the worst things was way smaller, even at the quadruple dose. That, that's one I remember. And still, I mean, as annoying as that is, and as much of a red flag that is that you shouldn't spend several more days trying to engage in debunk, <laughs> I still 
prefer linking me to some sort of scientific article, even if it directly contradicts you, to the other sort of sphere of conspiracy theory, which I'm thinking of particular, the little row that I had with them about whether or not Tom Hanks has child slaves in his basement and is a pedophile. Now, I personally, now I don't have a horse in the race of what kind of guy Tom Hanks is. He did a good job in the Mr. Rogers movie, so I'd prefer that he's not evil, but if he is evil, it should come out. That's my position. Look, I'd even go so far as to say that I'm mildly suspicious of Tom Hanks. (laughs) And not, probably not pedophilia, but something else, you know, like... But the evidence that's being given for these types of claims, and I'll spare you most of the details, is that Tom Hanks is posting pictures on his Instagram of children's shoes that he finds in public with little comments like, yeah, like a little foot's going to be cold. Hanks with an X. Yeah, it'd be like a glove. They're just like little random yeah, things. Little, Look like, sad on the like discarded bits of... It's like children's clothes that are lost or whatever that is seen on the side. But it's not just children. Sometimes it's also adults things. He's got some boomery thing of like posting pictures of shit that he finds on the ground and then making up a little joke about what it means for this to be lost. You know, like that's one of his Instagram things in addition to like promoting his movies or his son's winery or whatever. I'm sure his son has a winery. I just made that up. But it's a type of shit. He his was- son started White Boy Summer is the only thing I know. He has multiple sons, but one of them. <laughs> one of them started White Boy Summer. One of them may have started a winery. I don't know. Look it up. So maybe this is all secret messages, secret Illuminati message type conspiracy stuff. Maybe they're hiding in plain sight. Don't want to be closed minded. But I would strongly suspect probably not. Like, probably. It's like you post a, oh, someone's foot must be cold. And they're like, why? Did you steal the foot when you killed them? (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I'd rather be linked to a scientific paper that proves my position than a one-hour YouTube video about, like, secret messages being interpreted from Saturday Night Live in my preference order of conspiracy taxonomy. I would agree with that. And then, I don't know if this is too heavy to put in right here, but at the bottom of my taxonomy there would be linking me to videos of people dying and having someone like drawing lines over the video pointing out things that they see as inconsistencies to claim that spike tv narration like uh, yeah there was doesn't add up doesn't add up i forgot about that detail yeah (laughs) this but it was an it was like an ashley babbitt video yeah yeah it's the woman who on january 6th when they stormed the capitol and she was like breaking through a window that was like the point they couldn't cross and was shot by a security guard and she was like a celebrity in the sort of conservative movement martyr you know yeah yeah but yeah he linked us to a video that like really lowest common denominator presentation of like analyzing all the footage of it and saying like what doesn't add up with this like theory about who's in on it and who's not but like yeah it's just showing this footage of this 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 woman being shot and killed and bleeding out on the ground and being like boing nice acting dumbass that was one that really like wasn't fun for me to experience and i was like and there's someone else in these groups who is a doctor and was like because one of the points in the spike tv stupid narration was like there should be more blood if this is a bullet wound because presumably this narrator gets their information on how bullet wounds bleed based on 
movies or whatever and this person the doctor in the group is like actually where it is it's totally possible that it wouldn't be bleeding that much right now like etc etc but it's like it's so morbid and like just yeah i don't know it was took a weird turn at the end of this intro but you know (laughs) it's coming up what did we convince him We got more on election fraud, more research, more unfolding of this good faith in detail attempt to figure out the truth of a claim together and think together and investigate together. But before we get started, maybe this is too heavy to say, but there are people making money off of turning innocent people like our friend into Ashley Babbitts. Sheeple. They're just living normal lives. They're just trying to get by. They just wanna be happy. Cause believe it or not, sheeple are just like you and me. Sheeple is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Oh, Zach. Lambert, what is it? Well, you're my odd couple roommate in this big apartment. I've been looking around for you all afternoon. Now that you're in here, could you shear that one little spot on my back? You know the one. It's so hard for me to reach. Fine. Yeah, here we go. I mean, I really prefer to do this out in the apartment, in the living room. Here we go. Yeah, don't worry about it. I'll vacuum it up later. Oh, that's, just, that's disgusting. Here, I'll sweep it now. I'll Just sitting in your own filth in here? Look, I don't have time for any hijinks today. Or hygiene, for that matter. You're not living like a sheep. You're living like a pig. Well, pigs are actually very clean animals, so thank you. I'm worried about you. You know, yeah, we used to get up to hijinks every week. Now all you do is sit at this keyboard all day watching videos. Oh yeah, do you want to watch some videos with me? Because I got a bunch of good ones. It's Critically Thinking Sheep. Not this. will lay it all out for you. Please, I, I already tried listening to it. It's a grift, man. The I mainstream try- media is lying. Wolf Sheep Murder does not want to hurt sheep. Wolf Sheep Murder's campaign slogan is, I'm going to kill sheep. I'm going with- to kill the sheep. Okay. What? What, Those, what is this? What Hoof are you doing bills? with my empty supplement bottles strewn across the floor? It's hard to miss. You haven't been buying this from the Critically Thinking Sheep, have you? Have you even Look, done your own research on this? What is this? If you go to the Critically Thinking Sheep's website where you purchase the supplements, there's links to research there. <laughs> and these supplements are hyper-powered. My coat is looking so shiny since I started taking these. Look at that in the trash can there that you sheared off. Isn't that a nice glint to it? How shiny that is? It's a nice... It's a normal glint. Glint-wise, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Just sit down. We'll watch a video together. Critically thinking sheep. This will be our hijinks for the day. Zach shows Lambert how to see through the lies. (sighs) Well, should I do it? What if I push him further down this wormhole or... The friendship is what's most important. Sure, I'll watch it. Great, I'll just load that up. Sit back, you relaxed? I mean... Are you open? Yeah, yeah. Don't say anything while it's going, okay? Because sometimes people talk while the video... And just, I need you to, okay? Before I hit play, don't say anything while it's playing. All right. You're listening to the Critically Thinking Sheep. Critically Thinking Sheep. We're free thinkers. We're patriots on the pasture. We're hard workers. We get the job done. 
and we're not convinced by the sheeple in big cities and government who tell us that the real problem with the world is people like wolf sheep murder. Wonder if that has anything to do with wolf sheep murder challenging them. Huh. Anyways, we're too smart for that. We see through the lies. The power in society isn't held by people like wolf sheep murder. It's held by people like them running wild on our college campuses. Wolf sheep murder wants to murder sheep. Wolf sheep murder is bad for sheep. These people don't belong on television. They belong in a zoo. Now, I'm so glad wolf sheep murder didn't win that election. I shudder to think what would have happened at those slaughterhouses. We're not people who fall for lies like that. People who believe anything they read in the mainstream media. <laughs> Some of us are critically thinking sheep. The policies that wolf sheep murder promoted would statistically hurt all of sheep kind in more ways than one. And this is what they're teaching our kids in school? <laughs> Anyways. I'm worried about dark, dark things happening. They think that you and your family have become terrorists. They want to take away all the military's guns and instead give them feathers. <laughs> Maybe they think we'll be tickling criminals into jail. Critically thinking sheep. We're smart enough to know that the real threat isn't the institutions of power, isn't the people who exercise power within office, or within the private industry, or even within the university campuses. The real threat is bad sheep who don't think critically. They are our enemies, and they will not stop until they drag us kicking and screaming from our homes with our small children, who they will call terrorists, wolves in sheep's clothing. We need to stand up for ourselves. Because what, you think this sheep's gonna stand up for you? Oh, maybe now that wolf sheep murder's gone, things can get back to normal. Huh. Good luck with that. So I've demonstrated what our identity is and what the threat to our identity is. So now I move into the solution. So the solution to our problems is to give more power to wolf sheep murder, who will be returned to power soon, despite the fraudulent election stolen by the weaklings on university campuses. And the other step is that us critically thinking sheep must all voluntarily walk to the slaughterhouses and line up for our turn. Because I promise you, once we get inside, they will point the patriots in the right direction, where instead of being slaughtered, as the mainstream media might tell you, trying to terrify you about, oh, these slaughterhouses. <laughs> but instead you'll go down a second passageway, which will have a slide that brings you down beneath the slaughterhouse to a nice place, and it will also be a fun slide. Not one of those weak, short slides. This would be one of the longer, better slides that you've ever been on. Critically thinking sheep. I'm the Critically Thinking Sheep, and thanks for watching. If you support what we do on the show, you can check us out on But So, what did you think? I'm waiting, I'm expecting you to say, given up all my delusions, the mainstream media seem like weak little wieners, critically thinking sheep on the other hand, very cool, deep voice presentation, thinks critically about things, uncovers the truth behind the media message, and then, like, we know the truth, and the other people don't. You wanna watch more? That was some sort of, like, weird, 
suicidal wolf propaganda, man. Like, you got spirals in your eyes. Like, this is the... Look, I know that I we're... I do not have spirals in my eyes. You do have spirals in your eyes. Sorry, you do. That's a sheeple stereotype. Please, don't traffic I'm in I'm not that. saying that you're representative of all sheep when I'm saying this. I'm not trafficking in a trope. I'm actually Just, saying... Uh, you've had spirals in your eyes for weeks, and the only moment when you didn't have them was when you were watching this video, and now they're back. I don't have spirals in my eyes. So you don't have any arguments against what he said. That's what you're saying. Zach, you've been my roommate for years. You're one of my best friends. You've been there at all three of my weddings that I ran away at the altar. Me and you have started so many small businesses together, went on so many hijinks and adventures, and you're my best friend. But this internet time and this... I just don't want this wolf in sheep's clothing to Pied Piper you into being a sacrificial lamb for the ruling class, okay? I'm worried about you. Oh, Lambert, Lambert. I have two words for you. Mental slavery. You can lead a sheep to pasture, but you can't make them graze. That's what critically thinking sheep always says anyway. <laughs> Get out of my lab. I have independent research to do in here. Let's load up the next video. Here's five ways to tell if your roommate, your parents, or your partner is conspiring against you in our political agenda. Always oh, so relevant. Imagine having a roommate like that. So while you had been arguing about the Italian connection with him, I had been sitting on my research for Georgia and his claim that a man had hacked voting machines on the Georgia Senate floor. You were mentioning like you can trace some of the mistakes you made and like how you were engaging with him and just thinking about that myself now and like how eager I was to present this one to him. I think one of the mistakes I made was perhaps doing it too soon, especially after the end of your Italian connection post where he'd pivoted to, as we were saying, much more vague claims, but also to this argument that started popping up that we were just focusing on these really specific things rather than the bigger picture here. And like, I had already had this super specific <laughs> laying it out, debunking another claim document laid out to post and like hit him with. And I think he was feeling ganged up on and like, he didn't really respond well. I think we were both excited about the thrill of the hunt, the thrill of the victory, and also the thrill of knowledge and finding out and having this like detailed knowledge of all these systems. An important thing to note is that he was presenting this as further evidence that voting machines could actually be hacked. Like, no, this guy did it live on the Senate floor, hacked the voting machines. And then one of the first thing that jumps out immediately is that his claim wasn't that he could hack actual voting machines, as in the tabulators or the ballot marking devices. That's not what he claimed to be able to hack. What he claimed to be able to hack were poll pads, which are like little iPad type things that replace voter check-in lists. It contains voter registration data so that when people show up at the poll place, you know who people are and you have the lists. By law, their Wi-Fi capacity is disabled before they're used, but they do have Wi-Fi capacity. So that's what he was saying could be hacked. So it's just important to note that even if what he's saying was true, that can't change the vote totals. It could delist people and prevent them from voting. That would be more of the claim, which isn't always how it's presented. The other key thing that's evident if you watch his testimony, 
he doesn't actually demonstrate anything. He just says, we're in them right now. We're in the pull pads. We can change things. He just said it. He didn't hand them information. He didn't show them on a screen. Like That's what you imagine when you hear demonstration on the Senate floor. Like He put the poll pad in their hand and was like, now I will hack it. See? And they've witnessed the numbers changing before their very eyes. That's not what happened. He just said it. This guy's on the Georgia Senate floor making these claims and sort of like misrepresenting the poll pads as voting machines. Like, who is he? Why is he there? (laughs) Why why is he given this opportunity to make these lies? (laughs) Yeah, like you have this guy claiming this and like, okay, look at his history. Who is he? In the past, he invented QCAT, a cat-shaped device that when connected to the internet allows users to scan barcodes on ads that would bring up websites where they could purchase a product. Sort of like the start of like QR codes, except like just for ads that was shaped like a cat. Yeah, like a separate device that's just for this. I guess 2006, (laughs) when did the iPhone come out? It was probably like around the same time or maybe just before. Like now you're just like, oh, this would be an app. But at the time it was a separate device that was shaped like a cat. You mentioned just carrying around this cat shaped device to like get (laughs) quicker access to (laughs) products. Well, a lot of people could imagine it because venture capitalists who know how to deal with money because they earned it and know what to do with it gave him $185 million for this before the company completely crashing called a cautionary tale for investors, one of the 25 worst tech products of all time by PC World Magazine, like just an epic failure in the tech industry. That's one of the things that he's known for. After that, his career took a different turn, and he became a professional treasure hunter. Really? Yeah, and he went on the search for the Ark of the Covenant, just like you do. <laughs> Wait, like, like, okay, so the origin of this claim in the Senate, the guy who said that he's already in the pool pad, he is someone who has been searching for the Ark of the Covenant and presumably didn't find it. Yes, he didn't find it. Some treasure hunter. He did discover something else, though, which was a sword that has magical properties. He said it had magnetic magical properties and changes what we understand about history. You've got my attention. He said it was a sign that the ancient Romans had visited North America by 200 AD. It says here that the sword was likely a fake. They actually asked a bunch of people who were in this profession to be like, how credible is this? And they were like, well, if I found an artifact that I thought was going to rewrite history, I'd work with colleagues and like publish careful analysis and like invite independent researchers in and like, you know, back up my claim as we do in the sciences. And he hasn't done those things. So we don't find his claim credible. I made my big post. I presented to him. He kind of dismissed it as just character assassination on the guy. Like, oh, your post is just full of attacks on him and all this dumb stuff about the sword and the cat device. It's not addressing the meat of it because the parts that address the meat of it are unsatisfying. It's like he didn't provide evidence of hacking them, so there's nothing to respond to. So yeah, I feel like the credibility stuff has to be relevant, but yeah, he took it as just personal attacks. 
the tantalizing promise of convincing him, fact-checking, and working through the process towards a conclusion together was slipping through our fingers here. I think we could feel it this day that vibes weren't the same. But yeah, but I wasn't willing to fully give up yet because the one ray of hope I had, or maybe the one desperate (laughs) hope I had, was he kept saying that I was distracting from the point, which was that Antrim County, Michigan, and purported hacking on the Senate floor connected because something he called hybrid voting machines. And he was sharing me all these articles now about these hybrid machines, and this is what Georgia uses. Georgia uses hybrid machines, and this is why they're bad. In Antrim last time, the report mistakenly believed that the tabulators were these hybrid machines. So I thought I pinned him down in Antrim County with the fact that they use hand-marked ballots there, and he called the precincts and they confirmed this and we settled it. So I thought, okay, if I can look into these hybrid machines and what's going on with that in Georgia, maybe that will settle it. And now it's time for real, actual problems with the American electoral system. Before we continue with this episode of Seriously Wrong, I just wanted to give three examples of what I think is election fraud in the United States, although it is technically legal. The first is, in many states in the United States, felons are forbidden from voting, which means that people who are convicted of certain crimes are unable to participate in election processes, which naturally distorts the political system away from considering the experiences of prisoners. Yeah, and especially when the system as it currently stands puts so many people in prison in the United States. They have the highest prison population in the world. There's a high racial bias to the criminal justice system. So when you look at who's being disenfranchised here and for what reasons, it is even more unjust to think about it. And I definitely think that's a type of election fraud. It's a deviation from even the democratic principles of the representative type of democracy that the United States purports to uphold. It's not only feasible, but likely that within our lifetime, there's been illegitimate elections as a result of people being disenfranchised who should have been enfranchised. That is, the results weren't reflective of the will of the people because some people were unjustly denied the ability to vote and participate, which caused the distortion in the outcomes. A second type of legal election fraud in the United States is something that was drawn to my attention by the investigative reporter Greg Pallast. It is the cross-check voter purges. Basically, from 2005 to 2017, there was this interstate system where different democratic bodies would be able to check the names of the people on their lists and eliminate people from the voter rolls, that is, people who were registered to vote would be removed if they were living in multiple places or multiple states at the same time. So the way that they looked at this potential duplicate thing in practice, and a lot of people think they did this intentionally to serve themselves electorally, was removing people of color from the voters' rolls because apparently there's a larger amount of people of color who share surnames within communities than you find in white communities. But even within that, it was happening more in these communities than one would expect. So what happens is because there's someone else who has the same name as you, let's say Samuel Jackson, a common name, If there were four other Samuel Jacksons in different states, they would remove four Samuel Jacksons from the voters' roll, effectively disenfranchising people of color, and again, causing real effects in the results of elections. 
when really all you need to do is enroll everybody in elections automatically all the time. All residents in an area should just be signed up for elections already. Like it shouldn't be this thing where you have to remember to like sign up or like check if you've been delisted for unfair reasons or whatever. It's just automatic that if you live there, you get to vote. Well, and that's what ended up happening in this case is people of color are going to vote. They're finding that they're not registered quote unquote, they're not registered or that in their system, they're marked as having moved when they've never, ever moved and they've always voted there. So they did everything right. You know, even if you want to say that having this whole voter registration system is as valid as it currently exists, which I think it's not like uh, a lot of elections in Canada, you can register to vote at the poll with ID or someone who's vouches for you. But even if you're accepting that as a reasonable limit, these are people who were unjustly pulled for it as part of a racist plot to disenfranchise people of color. And this happened really, really recently. There tends to be like lots of racist plots to uh, prevent people of color from voting. There was that famous example recently where they were like that the voter ID law in one of these states was legally ruled to be targeting people of color. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a huge history of denying racialized people the right to vote in the United States, but in particular black Americans. I remember there was also that example of this voting literacy test given in like the Jim Crow era, where it's like to prove that people know enough to be able to vote is sort of the idea or the ostensible idea, although it's pushed by white supremacists. They even gave different tests to white and black voters to basically keep black people from voting and say that the reason they couldn't vote was because they weren't competent enough to pass these tests which were designed to exclude them. Anyways, like it, it's uncomfortable, I think, for people to admit, but a lot of American history has been shaped by this intense racial animus from white supremacists, white Americans, and that continues to this day in a variety of ways although they whisper it more now than they used to yell it. And it's technically legal, but it's definitely, definitely fraudulent. Yeah. And the third and final legal election fraud in the United States, it's a big one and it might be obvious, but it doesn't always get the attention it really deserves, which is the whole campaign finance and private donation system where corporations fund election campaigns creates a fundamentally distorting effect on democracy that through a variety of means creates fraudulent democratic outcomes. That is, the democratic will is not respected. The democratic will of the people ends up not being respected and people don't even get an opportunity to express themselves as a result of this campaign finance system, this politics for the rich. Hearing you mention that, it also strikes me that what politicians can feasibly promise within this economic system, within the bounds of not crashing the economy, not upsetting the investor class and them taking their money elsewhere, ruining the economic growth of a country or whatever, the very structure of the system requires that our politicians frame their goals and their policy in ways that keep the economy going, which is code for keeping the owners of capital happy and invested in our markets because it's a competition, a global competition. And like that distorting effect on what candidates can say, what policy can be proposed, also limits the amount that it can reflect people's democratic desires. I don't know if that's fraud, but it's a, it's a distorting effect on elections by the system itself. And it feels like it fits here. 
So I don't know, maybe we ended up finding more than just three ways that the elections are fraudulent. There seem to be sub-examples and higher level examples. It's like... Yeah, I mean, if we're talking as broad as saying any outcome where the system wasn't fair and there wasn't fidelity in translating the will of the voters into democratic practice, if we have the door to fraud be that open, which maybe we should, there's definitely more than three examples. And now back to our show. During this process of the back and forth over the couple days here, I learned so much about all these different types of voting machines that exist, comparing the Hart Verity 3.1 versus the DS200 ballot scanner and the ESNS Automark. Yeah, well, you did a whole big post on which machines are where and what could or couldn't have happened. But yeah, we learned a lot about voting machines in general. I was actually at a point I started to like develop preferences <laughs> one of these days where I was reading government paperwork explaining why they chose the ESNS Automark. That's one that's actually used by people who are disabled. So that's a digital voting machine that exists sometimes as a supplement that's used, like you mentioned earlier, like a handful of times in a given county. But like, I was at the point where I could actually just like recognize these things by name and finding a county that is doing something wrong and being like, why are you using Heart InterCivic eSlate? Goddamn you, Texas counties. There's no paper trail for that one. You guys are so irresponsible. You're not protecting the fidelity of people's votes. I think, yeah, that voting machines without some sort of paper trail are far less secure just by default. Like if you're only using digital information, it's it's not as good. And so like a ballot printing device, like you use a touchscreen to vote, but it prints a ballot for you and you hold in your hand and you look at it and you walk over to the tabulator. It's a very secure process to have these two separate machines where it prints out a paper thing with your actual vote on it that you can see. Or things that do record the votes directly digitally, but also just print out like a receipt roll where you can kind of look over and see, yes, it printed my vote correctly on this long list of votes or whatever. That's the VVPAT. Voter Verification Paper Audit Trail. They call it VVPAT to make sure it's really hard to follow what's going on. That one is slightly worse, I think, than actually printing the ballot and having them be two separate machines. But at least there's a paper trail there. What I found overall, and unfortunately, the process was, I think, increasingly becoming a monologue of us sharing what we were finding based on the little tidbits of what he was saying at this point, you know, these vague, big claims. You know, I believe voting machines are connected to the internet. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get into detail about why that's not true and like the ways that it's not. So, like, overall, there are voting tabulators that can connect to the internet, but they're not connected to the internet in the United States. The vast majority of places in the U.S. where you can vote, there's a paper trail. There's multiple redundant ways that you can count votes. In all the swing states in the 2020 election, there's a full auditable paper trail for the entire path to Biden's victory through those states. But there are places without 100% paper backups. In particular, Louisiana has no paper backups. It's eight electoral votes that went for Trump. It's the least secure state with the oldest equipment. And the Republican governor there and the Republican state legislature had been dragging their feet about updating it. If there's any place in the United States where large-scale digital electoral fraud could happen, it would be Louisiana, which went for Trump. There's some counties in Texas, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Tennessee that don't have VVPAT, although the majority of Oklahoma is paper ballots. New Jersey was the only place actually I found that went for Biden that didn't have a paper trail. It's not a swing state. 
I'm not going to get into it here, but I basically gave him extensive information on every state that was relevant voting machines. I'm not trying to pick sides in this race and be like, Trump is better or Biden is better or whatever. But Trump got 70 electoral votes that don't have an auditable paper trail. Biden only got 14. It would indicate that if the lack of auditable paper trails is the security issue with the U.S. election system, that the fraud would favor the Republicans. It's so wild to think about how big this whole thing got, the Dominion machines and the voter fraud and everybody pushing that stuff, just completely ignoring that the only states that use voting machines that don't have an auditable paper backup are states that Trump won and New Jersey. And like, yeah, my last thing, the hybrid machine thing was that what Georgia uses is ballot marking devices and tabulators, two separate machines. He sent me this article that was very interesting from Salon, actually, about a new type of voting machine, a ballot marking device tabulator hybrid. These hybrid machines print out a ballot for you, you look at it, and then you feed it back in. But it's one machine, and they have this feature called AutoCast that if you press the AutoCast button, it won't spit the ballot out to you to look at. It'll just pop it into the bottom with the rest of them. So it gives people the option not to check. And because of how it's designed, it doesn't print on the ballot until after you pick whether you want to autocast or not. So technically, with software, someone could program one of these things to make it so that anyone who autocasts a vote, you just change those ones, because those are the people who didn't choose to check their vote. So people, when this came out, were raising red flags about this type of voting machine. A few counties bought them. I think one or two even still use them somewhere in this election. But with the autocast feature turned off, because it's well known that it's like not supposed to be used, I just found that fascinating. And I found it fascinating that the person who raised red flags about this autocast feature, whose blog was used by a lot of these different things, footage of this expert in election machine security describing these machines and why they're bad, kept coming up. So I was looking into who this guy is. He runs a blog called freedomtotinker.com. Freedom to Tinker is hosted by Princeton Center for Information Technology Policy, a research center that studies digital technologies in public life. So this is a Stanford blog and like his posts are good and they point out real security issues and footage of him and quotes from him has been misused by all these people. And like he has a did Sean Hannity misquote me blog post on his Freedom to Tinker thing where he pedantically says the quote was accurate, but it was used to bolster things that are not accurate, basically. And I just thought, okay, I'm presenting all this. I have the stuff from Georgia showing how these are the machines they do use. It's not these hybrid ones. They're called this. The Georgia ones are called this. They're different. I got them on all this stuff. Even the person who raised the red flag about these machines says that this isn't an issue and that vulnerabilities aren't the same thing as a rigged election, especially when you have paper ballots in almost all the states. Like, got them. But there was no more getting them because <laughs> he started turning into like ballot stuffing. And that's the main thing he pivoted to. 
he was sort of like, without saying it as much directly, he's like, I don't want to acknowledge anything you've researched so far in the positive or the negative. I would just like you to continue this process on ballot stuffing in the most open-ended way possible. Yeah. I want you to check every state for ballot stuffing of any kind and get back to me to prove me that's impossible to have happened. He had also earlier mentioned ballots being mailed to everyone in a state instead of just people who requested it, which he said could cause fraud. And he also mentioned ballot harvesting, you know, where people in those states in particular pick up all those ballots and then drop it off. So just like very quickly, here's the top level stuff that I found out about this. So in a lot of states in 2020, delivering absentee ballots on behalf of other people is actually a legal thing. There's only one state where it's completely illegal to do that. It would constitute fraud there. But there's 12 states where close family members can bring it in for you. There's 24 states where you can designate someone from a variety of groups to cast your ballot for you at the station. Some states even allow for third-party organizations to do ballot collection drives and do mass drop-offs. We can debate and we can discuss, and I think it's an interesting conversation, the limitations of having people be able to deliver each other's ballots for them. So we're not talking about filling out people's ballots for them, like unless they're seriously disabled or elderly and stuff like that. We're just talking about taking a sealed envelope with a ballot into a station. I tend to think that's a good thing, like to make it more accessible and make sure that people are able to vote more easily. You know, I've volunteered and worked on elections before, and there's some real barriers to voting for people who are elderly or disabled. And to various degrees. And just anything that makes voting easier is something I tend to support. But just to get clarity on that, it's not ballot fraud to deliver someone else's mail-in ballot on their behalf unless the law of the state actually says so. So a lot of the places that tend to get mentioned in these discussions are actually from states where what's going on is legal and an encouraged part of the voting system. And again, you're free to disagree on that. I personally take the stance. It seems fine to me. By this point, I had felt like I basically run out, but like I tried to do this one because I thought, okay, if I can present this thing about Georgia ballot stuffing to him that relies on everything. Anyway, of course it didn't work, but like (laughs) in Georgia, there was this claim of ballot stuffing based on seeing these quote unquote suitcases on like a security video. Turns out they're not suitcases that were being brought in from somewhere nefarious. They're just the normal boxes they use to store and move around ballots. And also there was this video that supposedly showed a woman in Georgia running the same ballots through the counting machines more than one time. But it's like blurry. You can't really see what's going on. So it's dubious that they were actually run through twice in the first place. But then also they did a full recount of all the paper ballots in Georgia. So that would have caught any double counted ballots. Well, and there's stuff too. There's just like random videos and images being passed around and like you look into it. And then one of them is actually footage from like election fraud happening in Russia in 2003. (laughs) And one of them is footage of election workers taking ballots out of like a voting drop box the day after the election. And they're like, oh, those are Biden ballots like to stack the election. And it's like, yeah, these are Biden ballots because we're in a state where you are allowed to vote in the election boxes overnight on election day. Like voting boxes are closed the day after election day in this state. And we do one last sweep in the morning for all the remaining ballots and we count them because that's the law. The law says that you can do a drop off ballot as late as like midnight on election day. That's the law. And it's like, okay, that's the law there. I don't know. Do you think it's a bad idea for a law? Maybe you could debate it, but I sort of think, you know, more people get to vote. It's, It's a good thing. Someone looks at their watch. Oh shit, it's 1030. It's voting day. I'm going to go vote. Well, that's a good thing. 
But then there's an infinite stream of anything that sort of seems like, oh, look at all these ballots being shredded. And it's like, whoa, those are actually the ballot envelopes being shredded from when people mailed it in. And it's standard practice to... shred the envelopes because they're made out of paper. There's so many claims and I got so burnt out. I just keep thinking about that PDF I saw that was like hundreds of claims or like multiple pages and like all these sourced things to like blog posts and whatnot. And like the amount I'd researched was like 5% of the document. And I knew that 5% of the document was for sure bullshit, but there was just like so much more bullshit out there. My vision at the beginning was like, maybe I can know enough to debunk all of it, the whole election fraud thing. Like maybe if we use this all for an episode in the future, we can cover everything. It's just election fraud. It's not COVID. It's not, it's not. Yeah, just just election fraud, right? Yeah. Just this one election. (laughs) How much could there be? But there's so much and like, you just can't go through it all. Like it's endless. Like you run out of time and patience and ability and like, Yeah, you'd need that actual team of fact checkers. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by State Solutions to the Misleading Headline Crisis. Hi, we're two representatives from the government. Government employees. Servants of the people. The people have spoken. They've said, we need a solution to headlines. And government did what government does best. It kicked into gear immediately. So we struck a special review panel, a committee, to hold an inquiry that could consolidate expert testimony and come to a conclusion, which would then give government a variety of options that they may or may not pursue in cracking down on this headline crisis. A lot of people complained, you know, well, we want this faster. Well, listen, it takes time. We want to make sure we do it right. There was so many different vibrant solutions presented. You know, of course, the classic, the government lists all acceptable headlines. We considered making lists of things that you can't say. We considered making lists of things that you must say. We looked at different scales of penalties for different scales of infractions. We looked at international best practices and the conversations happening within our geopolitical coalition. We heard the voices of the community. The people came and spoke. We brought in industry experts from the headline producing industry, and we heard their concerns. What do they think? What do they need? We need to bring people in. We need to bring people from the industry in. And we need to bring people from Main Street in, too. You know, the mommies and the daddies. Yeah, it's like when we're sitting there with the industry people for weeks and weeks, of course we're going to have a day where the mommies and daddies can come in and give their opinions, too. to line up like anyone else and who there's time for there's time for the committee gave their recommendations we had a separate review panel go over the recommendations for anything that was pie in the sky couldn't be done mm-hmm. ran it past the budget committee went through all of the process and we've arrived at the answer the government solution to this problem we thought okay if we're going to make a new law to listen to the people if we're going to put people in the driver's seat and be the servants of their will How do you enforce a law? How do we keep the streets safe? The physical streets, cops. How do we keep the streets of the information superhighway safe? Right, for misinformation. Headline cops. 
So you'll know if the headline police are coming to arrest you because actually in your browser, you'll see a little spinning red and white light. You'll hear sirens from your own speakers. It'll just like be like being arrested, like on the road. And they say, hands off the keyboard. Yeah, Let us take a look at your browser history. Right. And the video will pop up. Then you'll see the officer's yeah, face. We'll be wearing yeah. sunglasses and stuff. So you can't really identify them. They don't live in your neighborhood anyways. So with this system of cops being able to pull you over in your browser and... With reason. With reason, we'd say. Yeah, cause. of course. They can't search in your private messages without cause. There's still the Fifth Amendment, right? But the software, the algorithms that we've had forcibly installed in all legal operating systems now, they give that cause by saying, hey, something fishy is going on here. Mm -hmm. The cops show up. If you're doing nothing wrong on the Internet, you'll have nothing to hide in right. your private as long conversations. As you comply. Exactly. The algorithms developed by the private companies but used for political ends act as a sort of lifeguard. So when someone shares a misinformed headline as an individual, that's like a person drowning. They're like, oh, I need help. And the lifeguard calls the police. And then the police come and swim in the water and save the person or arrest them, depending on whether they've committed crimes. People will finally be able to feel safe on the internet, in the same way you feel safe when you come across physical police. Right, like if you're driving your car and then a police car drives near you and then you get that warm feeling that they're Safety. there to help everyone. And yeah, you'll get that same sort of feeling in your browser. We're gonna be introducing what's called the silent mode, which is when you're not under arrest, but a police is just sort of coming through your browser to check in and make sure you're, that you're not looking at any too much disinformation. So you'll just see that little police icon pop up in the corner like a notification, and you'll be like, wow, the roads are safe. And in other districts around the world where they've been testing this out, sharing phony headlines has decreased 3 4%. This also solves perhaps the most vexing problem of the internet for us states, which is that when people feel alone on the internet and they feel that they're not being watched, they're able to freely develop according to their own whims without burdensome, watchful eyes of authorities. And as a side effect, a happy side effect, the internet as a space to freely develop yourself can now come to an end. So that's it. Get ready for the headline cops to show up in your browser soon. Hey, as long as you check your sources, you got nothing to fear. And it's important that we crack down on those individuals and not the institutions that produce the headlines because of free speech. They made that very clear to us. Oh, yeah. Great point. We didn't want to step on anyone's liberty here. So, yeah, policing the headline producers rather than the headline consumers, while something we considered with an open mind was obviously rejected because of the Constitution. Instead, we have this. And it's just something, frankly, the market just can't do. That's why we had to step in. Yeah, cops. The one thing the market can't do good that you need the government for. Government announcement over. Return to your productive lives. The information superhighway is now safe. I want to talk a little bit about what I learned from this that I haven't mentioned. One thing I was kind of surprised about, and I had sort of a glimmer of it, but I underestimated the degree that this misconception and this idea with thousands of ports of call, hundreds of ports of call, is intentionally engineered disinformation. There's institutions seeding this stuff intentionally. I don't know. It's just something really creepy about it. This isn't a matter of quote unquote conspiracy theorist people being so wild that they make up the most ridiculous things. Or at the very least, it's not as simple as that. I mean, stuff like the Italian connection, Maria Zak, 
This is a woman who fundraised for Newt Gingrich and Ted Cruz, sharing this video and affidavit in a context that she might be a true believer of, but someone is lying. And it's hard to tell if she's a true believer or not, but the fact that she keeps on getting her story different each time, it's like a little bit confused by her own narrative. And it's a complex narrative. It's this like nested onion narrative of all these different claims that are picking little pieces of reality that is specific in its implications, but very vague in what even is being claimed, even by like the source of it. It makes me think she's a true believer. Likewise, like that first report in Antrim, it's by this Allied Security Operations Group. And then you like look into them and like the guy who runs it, Russell James Ranslad Jr. And like he's behind other major election fraud claims that are lies. Like if you ever read the headline or heard about the person who mistook voting precincts in Minnesota for ones in Michigan and provided these inaccurate totals as a way to say like more people voted than are on the books in these states by just like picking numbers from different states and like making such a basic either mistake or intentionally duplicitous thing. Like whether he's a true believer or not, this is the level of stuff he's putting out there. That 68% of votes being mistaken for 68% of the logs had an error or moving voting precincts from one state to another one. Uh, one thing was Project Veritas put out this video about this postal worker who claimed to have like overheard something about ballots and like claiming ballot fraud. And they've like presented this video of him. And I listened through the unedited tape of this guy talking to the FBI agent. And they like go to the place and they're like, where were you standing? And like, what did you hear? Really getting in like the distances and like how likely and how sure are you what you heard? And like over the course of this, he gets less and less sure of what he's actually saying. And some people had reported it that he specifically told the FBI he lied. But if you listen to the tape, it's not exactly that. It's that they deduced that he wasn't as sure as he said he was by like asking him detailed questions. Yeah. Project Veritas is like a whole thing. They've got multiple videos that I looked into <laughs> during the process. And luckily with Project Veritas, a lot of the work is done. People do the work to pick apart what they're doing because they basically produce intentional partisan disinformation for the purposes of attempting to swing elections. Like there's a great YouTube series on them. What was that one called? Yeah. It's a YouTuber named Timba on Toast. Really high quality detailed videos. So there's two ballot harvesting videos for the 2020 election pushed by Project Veritas. One targeted at Biden and one targeted at Elon Omar. The Elon Omar one is really interesting. Yeah, it was a video alleging basically that Elon Omar had paid for votes. The man in the video, Omar Jamal, he claims to be the representative of the Somali community and the head of this Somali watchdog group that doesn't actually like exist. The website was put up after the Project Veritas video was made or like shortly before or something like that. He was paid $10,000 by Project Veritas to lie about what Ilhan Omar was doing, saying that he was being paid to collect ballots and cast ballots for Elon. The reason that we know that he was given $10,000 to do it is because other people were offered the same deal and declined and talked to people who were investigating this video. Another thing here is too is like this video wasn't actually shot during the election. This was shot during a municipal election in a place where collecting ballots was legal for a municipal election because of COVID. When journalists reached out to him about the inconsistencies, he responded by email, fuck you, I'm going to report you. I want to fuck your mother. That's the school I went to. <laughs> um, the other Project Veritas video, again, false pretenses. They were collecting signatures for judge candidates who were running for like local judge positions. 
She was a paid door-to-door canvasser for one of these signature-getting operations for a judge candidate. She's a voting Republican, and she was given money by Project Veritas to claim that she's getting ballots for Biden and changing people's ballots, basically. So again, it's like we could get into all the detail of like the specific claims in the video and why they can't be true <laughs> and like who she is and all that stuff. And we could pick it apart and we can get into in detail with each of these things that we did on any of the things so far. But the short of it is that Project Veritas produces partisan disinformation for the purposes of trying to advance Republicans in elections in the United States. The record is very clear there. You'd have to be ignoring a lot of testimony and a lot of facts to think that's not true. Even with all these affidavits, one thing I like to point out is that these affidavits didn't all come about from some bottom-up movement like these people had to speak out. It's that they set up a hotline and asked people to call in if they saw anything that seemed out of place. So that's where you're getting people like this postal worker who's just like, oh yeah, I think I overheard something where they said something kind of weird about doing thing on a day when they're not supposed to or whatever. Like these super weak claims and like all these affidavits. And like I asked people a bunch of times, like if like after the 2016 election when Trump won in this upset, if like Hillary Clinton's people had been tweeting out, if you saw anything at a voting station that was out of place, let us know. How many affidavits do you think they could have collected and like built up all these court cases that like these people kept filing these horrible court cases? And like you look at Sidney Powell's, they're all messes, like she can't spell or like they're not trying to make it seem legitimate they're just trying to placate or this is my theory they're trying to placate Donald Trump by like doing something the argument that just because there's affidavits yeah this was some bottom up thing it isn't the case and like anyone could use that tactic it's very clear what they did and if you look at something like nations in action you know they're fundraising people are donating into this delusion that Italy did it you know, maybe the list gets burnt, metaphorically speaking. People realize, like, there's that one guy who donated a bunch to one of these funds who, like, wanted a million dollars back because they didn't actually do what they said they would do. And there's, like, a lawsuit over it, some Republican millionaire. To some degree, there's got to be some buyer's remorse. And you, like, wonder if people can help get themselves out of these wormholes. But on the other hand, if you have that infinite open-mindedness towards justifying your own pre-existing conclusions, then anything that happens can be proof of what you already think, you know? Like, well, all of the lawsuits failed because of the scale of the conspiracy, obviously. (laughs) There's all these sort of like little stories that you could tell to fill all these gaps that, again, it creates this sort of like splitting Hydra thing. And then a few little things that I noticed here too is like the complexity of the Italian story It's not a bug that it doesn't make any sense and it's self-contradictory and everyone has similar names and some of them are real people, but they're misrepresented and all these like little weird details that makes this thing and it's knotted. It's a video of an affidavit presented by this person, but it's this person reading this other person's affidavit, but he's his lawyer. All that sort of like intersections of all the weirdness of this specific claim. That's not a bug. It's a feature. Like these intentionally created conspiracy theories, I think, are made and designed from the first premises to be sort of like impervious to fact checking. Like there can't be an easy, quick fact check for it other than this is simply not true. And this is simply not true can then be sort of tricked. People can read the fact check from Reuters or whatever and be like, don't listen to the fact check from Reuters. Because if you do, then you lose because you're on my team. And my team thinks that Reuters is just being an asshole and not even listening to us and just sort of like smugly saying, this is simply not true sort of thing. Of course, the fact checker like now says those suitcases 
are just boxes when they got caught, you know? And we kind of ignore that, like, well, if they weren't, I feel like all the people who work there would say something if all the news outlets were saying they were and they actually aren't, but... It seems to me that in the modern conspiracy landscape, there is a structural impediment to fact-checking. The conspiracy theories are like a virus which has evolved to avoid the vaccine. The popular conspiracy theories which will spread the most are the conspiracy theories which are structurally impervious to fact-checking by their gelatinous, fluidy, inconsistent, and self-insistent nature. And it means that fact-checking is like good for us to understand the way things work. But like, if you fact-check, it's really for the side of people who don't agree with it or are skeptical of it. The fact-check doesn't work on these like disinformation onions. Yeah, or they're so tedious to get through all the details of that you lose the attention of the people that you're trying to explain it to. I noticed this too with fact checks and stuff, and they always have to like decide how in detail to get and how much to headlineify what they're saying. And if they do it too much, then sometimes they lose important nuance and like the fact check has vulnerability. But if they do too much detail and it's just a big block of text that has all the relevant info, then nobody reads it because it's not as attractive or easy as a story as the lie is. And it's like, I was pointing out with that thing with how the 6,000 votes got flipped and stuff. Whereas if you compare the alternative claim that, oh, the SEAL Team 6 flew from Afghanistan to Germany to have a shootout with Italian intelligence to steal the servers that can prove that Donald J. Trump is the correct winner of the 2020 election. It's like, well, you have everyone's attention, including all the people who think that's an insane idea. And if you start talking about like, oh, well, the ScanMaster 2600, you know, it has a modem and the modem was turned on in this place in 2012, but they passed a bill in 2013 that made it so you can't turn on those modems. And a lot of people are like pushing to have ones that don't have modems, but like there's a lot of cost considerations to replace all these modemed ones. But then even then, the paper ballots will back it up anyway, so it's fine. It's like, man, I wish there was SEAL Team 6 involved. SEAL Team 6 showed up from Afghanistan and proved to everyone that the voting machines can't connect to the internet. I think, like, looking at the Italy did it thing, my theory is that there's someone off camera, not Maria Zach, but someone off camera feeding her information with the certainty of someone who knows what they're talking about. She is the person who takes the fall for it in the front, and she sort of like Sidney Powell or even Donald Trump, there's a very cynical game-playing mode of politics where people are taking advantages of the way that people's psychology can be sort of gamed and the way that social media sets people off into bubbles and takes advantage of knowing, not just that people don't read sources, but knowing, I think, the specific ways in which people don't read sources and the specific ways in which people find things credible without evidence and gaming these sort of biases within people's psychology in this very like sort of cynical game for like electoral and other political power ends. You know, people who are hardcore into politics at these levels of institutional power and competition, they see this as like a war for power. It's very serious to them. They're fighting with other party for the ability to like allocate resources and stuff. You know, there's people there who take this stuff really seriously and like approach it very cynically, like a game. And what you have is the cynical game playing strategy casting a shadow on the consciousness of the people who are propagating it. The nihilistic game-playing strategy causes people like Sidney Powell and causes people like Maria Zach to become untethered from reality in a partisan way, a way that has been designed through the psychology of the communications of the political movement they're a part of intentionally to take advantages of like the weaknesses of human consciousness in groups. 
Sidney Powell's a lawyer handing in reports with basic spelling errors that don't understand basic things about voting machines on behalf of the president to say that he should stay president. Like, it's really wild. It's like the headlines came to life through people. They've been parasitized by them. The disinformation networks, like Sidney Powell has like wasted away and been replaced with the profit-bearing echo chambers of the right-wing conspiracy world. I don't know what's going on with Sidney Powell or why she's like that or like, I don't know who is a true believer and who isn't, who honestly came to this through the distorted media landscape of like the Breitbarts and the Rebel Newses and like all of these outlets that push apart as an agenda and like warp people's perceptions of all of this stuff through like individuals who like our friend are pushing a narrative without maybe even knowing that that that's what they're doing because they're so biased. And then also people who are close to Trump or who have other potential benefits to gain from this and have a lot of money intentionally telling lies and spreading them to either placate him or make money down the road or both in various ways. I'm really fascinated with this, like the blurry line between grifter and grift target. It seems to me that it's a process that's unfolding sort of organically as people are competing with each other within this realm for attention and stuff like that. And like, we know that misleading headlines can generate more clicks and more shares. There's all these structural systems that create a context for which small scale grifts like Nations in Action can thrive. And I do think it's a network of mostly small scale grifts and not like, say, some serious centralized conspiracy. But there are like dark money groups. Nations in Action and other groups have like received sizable contributions in terms of like tens of thousands of dollars or more from dark money conservative action committees. Oh, yeah. Look into who's funding Project Veritas, too. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. And like it's been different people at different times. The whole system is set up that there doesn't need to be an individual driving conspiracy. There can be like a network of these little grifts that together form a type of meta conspiracy beyond the scale of any individual perpetrator of it. We're at peace. Peace with the business classes, the politicians and the experts. We take the side of the less bad option to do data-driven urban analysis about what's reasonable and what's not. Our resolve is to bridge the gap, end the polarization, and amplify the voice of the heartland. And we're just normal for a change? You're watching WNBC, the voice of normal people. Welcome back, everybody, to Normal Tonight. Now, before we get into the interview portion, I just there's something really important that I want to address on today's show. You know, back when Better Hope Change II was elected, I announced that things were officially back to normal. And people have been questioning me on that, but I stand by it. The previous administration was a five-alarm earthquake. The country was left in ruins. It's going to take a while to clean all that mess up, but that's always how it is, right? The weirdos knock things down and then the normal people are there to clean it up. And people say, oh, so, you know, we can't keep giving better hope change a pass just because the last guy did stuff bad. And I'm saying the way that we need to keep things staying normal is by keeping our focus on what normal is better than. Normal is better than the last administration, for sure, <laughs> who 
By the way, rumors, he's about to be back up to his old tricks, and I, for one, will be reporting on every minute detail of every one of those rumors, so you can follow it here like an interpersonal high school drama to help keep this country safe and sane. This is, by the way, why I'm so skeptical of people who want to focus all of their energy on what might be better than normal. I mean, would it be nice to live in a world of gumdrops and lemonade? Of course. As long as there's sugar-free options available, I think we'd all like to live in that world. But some of us are just a little bit more pragmatic. And sometimes gumdrops and lemonade just aren't on the menu. And we're gonna have to eat our vegetables. Would I like to address the fundamental incentives baked into our economic system that people can make money from manufacturing ignorance and spreading lies? Of course I'd like to change that. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? But we gotta be realistic. I mean, why not give out free pony and healthcare for every child as well? The truth is that all of this, all of this wishful thinking is just a distraction from the real issue the real problem, which is individual people not doing their personal due diligence online. Which brings me to my guest today. She's a single mother who spends a lot of time on social media broadcasting opinions that are frankly dangerous to her nearly 100 followers. She's the reason why things have not been back to normal yet. And her dangerous lies and distortions threaten all of society. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, why do you hate the truth? I don't hate the truth at all. I'm really worried about child trafficking, and I'm really worried that the elite aren't trustworthy. And <laughs> I guess it's just mostly, it's sort of like those ethical concerns, but then also... You know, I've got kids. I, lo I love my kids. I'm worried about them getting taken by the elite, obviously, or what they're putting inside vaccines to make their eyes turn to swirls. And that's just what I've been reading. But a lot of people I know also seem to agree. This is what happens when distrust of the elites goes too far. Let me get this straight. Because you care about children, mm -hmm. uh, which, of course, you know, who doesn't care about children? We all do. But isn't it true that you've said you won't vaccinate yourself or your children? From the information that I'm being exposed to. And you didn't research that information more? No, I did. And the did more you I... Google the fact checkers? I don't... Have you listened to my show? We give you the facts every night. One issue for me is that when I look at the fact checkers and I notice, I guess, times they haven't fully done their due diligence, misrepresent something I care about. Just based sort of on the memes I've been seeing, it seems like... And you just at the trust end of the, the memes. Well, I, I don't trust every meme. This is meme. despicable. No, you are a despicable person. You are then, responsible not just for the future death of your own child, but for the deaths of millions of children today. See, and this is why when people say that the problem is not coming from the individuals sharing stories on Facebook, I scoff at them. I'm just trying to protect my kids, so I'm trying to figure out which of the memes is right, find the right sources, people that you can really trust, and then you know, like, for example, me. about the aluminum. You should trust me. I mean, I guess I kind of, I'd say at this point, I kind of trust you. Good, good. Oh, if you kind of trust me, we have vaccines here right now. We'll inject you on air. If I can, I've always wanted to convince an anti-vaxxer live no, on air. I'm, it would just be really cool I if I did that and someone because of me. Uh, so yeah, just no, clean off the arm. Would you like the for, needles are clean for me? I, 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 it's we can inject your job I'm more, as well. 
I guess here's what I'll try to explain as best I can using sort of facts and logic. I hope I was going to say a story, but cited yeah. sources from experts. I hope for, for, for me, you know, this just makes me so angry because we are blessed in this society with an excess of vaccines. You know, there are children in Africa who would give anything to get access to one of these vaccines. Don't you think if our government goes to all that trouble in a world market where we have disproportionate power that you shouldn't at least be grateful for what our government is doing? Even if I'm open sort of maybe to the idea, I mean, there's, I've been wrong before, but I've given, but I've, I think it's right. I want to be open. I've given you the chance to do what's right and you've rejected it. You've spat in my face and you've spat in the face of everyone in the world, including your child, especially your child. The problem here is you. Do you understand that? It's all you. I don't, I, I don't like this. Stop trying to shift the blame. It's you. I'm getting this feeling like, and I want to share it with you, that I shouldn't trust you. What about the way that I've been speaking to you would make you not trust me? Well, it's like a performance. It's like it's for a third party audience. You can't really connect with me because there's an audience. You feel like you need to always say the correct thing. So you can't meet me on my level and then help because you're you embarrassed that, to folks? have the wrong things come out of your mouth. It's sort of like a, I just want I don't know, like a Kantian bad for the universe or something. You can't. So you want the audience to notice the pivot here. We were talking about vaccines. We were talking about facts, studies, research, and she wants to pivot to tone policing. Tone policing me, tone policing the scientists, you're tone policing reality itself. I'm the most innocent conspiracy type in the world. Get out of my studio. You disgust me. I'm like a extreme steel man. You're going to throw me out? I think I speak for myself and the audience when I say, I no longer care if you die. I don't thank you for being here. Good day. Coming up next on WNBC... Is the answer to global poverty a stock market app that allows you to buy and sell stamp-sized pieces of land to let even the lowest income among us get in on the property market action? Coming up next, an interview with entrepreneur and CEO Geet Finkus, head of a new startup. He's been there, he's seen that, he gets it, and he says, yes, that is the answer coming up. So yeah, at that point, I feel like we were just throwing stuff out there, hitting a bunch of stuff. He was knocking it all away. It kind of fizzled out. <laughs> that was about it in terms of talking to him about it. He decided he was moving on, never to admit how thoroughly that we had owned him on all of this stuff. I want to say that I wasn't trying to own him, but <laughs> the thrill of that research and the thrill of those moments of like the lawyer's name is Germany or he has a magical sword. Yeah. Those are transcendent debunking moments where your soul leaves your body and you look down at yourself and... <laughs> The hope was, and what I felt like there was moments of, was we could co-participate in a process of truth-seeking together, where he challenged us and we challenged him. Maybe other people joined him or other people joined us and pushing knowledge about this stuff forward so we could have informed conversations about this. Yeah, you make the distinction between co-learning together and the last thing I said, the ownage, and like 
it very much started out with the hope that could be possible. But like the more I started to get annoyed with him and the way he was now responding. And like I tried to take some days off and like maybe hit him up on it again a few days later. It's a lot to go through for sure. I get that. But I really did just feel like I wanted to own him, but not in like a mean way, just in a way of like (laughs) part of the impetus behind doing so much work is to just like really lay it all out and to like maybe own him is the wrong word, but like I wanted to be backed up so that I knew that I was right and not like owning him in some superficial way, but owning him in the intellectual arena at the very least. Like if I can't get him to admit it, then at least it's like clear that I did my work. I don't want to pretend to be more high-minded than I am because there's multiple drives that push us to do things. I knew going into it that like the conclusions are very, very likely going to be on our side. But like, what was thrilling and interesting about it was the contours of the process of trying to prove showing up in good faith to something as best you can, and then just like tracking the process of the good faith disappearing. (laughs) And I think once it became clear on that second day that he was trying to evade participating, (laughs) although he claimed that he supported it and that he liked it, especially once I started feeling that sting of laboring towards truth to the highest degree I could. I'm trying to honestly assess the facts and compare different narratives and find explanations for things and think outside the box about how these things can even be proven over the internet. I Facebook messaged one of the counties to get clarification on what sort of balloting they used in a swing state. And I heard back from them. I shared the information, you know, like really just going like really above and beyond in a way that I mean, part of it is that's the joke. And knowing like, okay, I'm going to be playing chess with the pigeon now, so I can't expect too much, but let's see how it goes. Yeah. But unlike chess, there's real win-win conditions here. And the win-win conditions I really sincerely wanted to emphasize. And it became impossible to emphasize once, I think, the sense of like the threat of loss of like losing in teams. And to be fair, you know, it's two of us and one of him, and maybe he could have found someone else to back him up or something, but... In this same vein, I think another huge part of why this maybe didn't go down so well is that we were doing this in the context of a political shitposting group, like the place we know him from. It made sense that that's where it was. But like, you know, it was us two doing most of the research and presenting all this stuff to him and trying to talk it through with him. But at the same time, there's everyone else in the group who mostly agrees with us and, you know, like sees that we're putting in all this work and he's not and like tossing out the internet comment jibes and like he's getting caught up arguing with other people on like meta things about what's going on and like there's all this other stuff also poisoning the potential of really having that good faith engagement you know but it's like that was just like that that's just the fact of the real world conditions under which this happened I definitely say that the performance nature of the comment section makes it where even if you're dealing with someone in good faith, the sort of tenor of the quote unquote audience can change the tone of something. I don't know. It's a learning experience. Like potentially maybe we should have approached him with this in private to discuss it all in private and not told anyone. But I think he also wanted to do it in the group to like show other people and stuff like it all came from discussing in the group and things like that. But it's like hard to not slip into more of a team mentality when there's all this monkey poo throwing shitposting discourse happening mixed in with what we're doing. 
when you're dealing with someone who's this sort of obstinate and just unwilling to participate in basic norms of discourse, it's a real challenge to not start making fun of them. Yeah. And even times when I wasn't trying to make fun of him seemed like I was because of the content of what I found when I researched the claims. And when I think about the magic sword, I feel like it made me seem like I was being unfair to him. This vibe of like, oh, come on, guys, like you expect me to respond to magic swords and it's like well yes because you're the one who brought magic swords into it but clearly it still annoys me to think about something i noticed over the course of this as well is that the more that you prove something so like let's say we're talking about some specific variation of 9-11 as an inside job so if someone's a true believer that italy did 9-11 the more evidence that you can show them that italy most probably was not involved in 9-11 the more you give them that evidence, the more they're going to say, wow, this sure is unknowable. This sure is hard to pin down. You know, there's so many questions here. <laughs> like it will go from Italy did 9-11 to, well, Italy probably didn't blah, 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 all this sort of stuff to, wow, what an unknowable question. What a mystery about whether Italy did 9-11. This has been such a thrilling back and forth about this, you know, with all this evidence that you've presented. It just really deepens the mystery yeah. for me. It makes things so all the more unknowable. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good block like there's no way around that like what are you gonna say to that sean no it made it more knowable what are you talking okay why are you so defensive <laughs> you were closer to knowing than ever you maniac something that we saw in this specific example with our buddy is the i'm moving on from election fraud <laughs> yeah that was so good which again was like another phrase that they started using which was just like indicating that they didn't want to get into it anymore and you know fair enough it's fair to say and we stopped doing the research. And this is at the time of the Capitol riot. This back and forth was happening basically like... Yeah, just after, right? Yeah, this was in the days after the Capitol riot. I remember the conversation that we had about this is that, like you said, this is something that people are going to debate about for a long time. And that this premise, this claim, this hypothesis that the election was stolen from Donald Trump was the pretense of people storming the Capitol and a lot of the reality bifurcation stuff that I was seeing. So it was like... It seemed like it's too big to cover everything, but if we focus on this one little part of this one little thing and then we let it expand to more and more of this one little aspect, we're able to sort of talk about it inside and out, then maybe we can find sort of the pathway that can help people to better understand it and get out of it. Not like convince them of any specific conclusions, but convince them of a process for coming to conclusions that will sort of preclude the possibility of coming to incorrect conclusions in some specific ways that we're observing. You can do what you did in that first example of picking something really small and specific and something that can definitely be proven and just focusing on it and just hitting it. And I think you can get that much some of the time in the right circumstances with the right good faith and stuff like that. But the process of doing that more than once is, I think, too painful for both sides in most circumstances. But specifically the people who are being debunked, they might grant you one small specific thing like that if you really go for it. But I'm skeptical that that process can be scaled up. Yeah. Like at first he was having fun, but like us scoring that win in this weird competition it becomes when you're doing these debates like this, it brought his britches up rather than softening him for more. I was never so naive to think that this was going to be an easy, straightforward process where just like a switch is flicked and he completely sees the error of his ways. 
even early on, my thought was it'll either happen or it doesn't. My cynical side says that it's probably futile, but it's worth trying sort of in good faith as best as you can to push it through and then figure out what the barriers to that is. And one of the barriers was and is that if you put a lot of work into something, which is what debunking is, it's a lot of work, and then someone doesn't acknowledge your work or respect that work or even take the time to respond substantially to that work, it's kind of insulting and annoying and frustrating in a way that I was getting more annoyed with him the more that I did work and he didn't. So like that was one of the limits was that sort of frustration and just like, it's so hard to have infinite grace for someone who is not keeping up the other end of the bargain of like a conversation. Yeah. And I think that sense of like being owned or some sort of like victory or loss of face, I think can really help explain that closing off by opening the door to checking out this information. He was opening up the possibility that at the end of the day, he'd be wrong. And that by eschewing participation, by not reading it and stuff like that, you can maintain a permanent internal sense of like righteousness and rightness. And he's right to pick up clearly, like from the way that we're talking about it, that that was one of the things in play. That's one of the things in play in the internet comment section is the sense of like winning and losership. But that sense of winning and losership is so creepy when you think about its ability to distort one's like epistemological sense of the universe. Like our sense of what makes sense and like how to build sense and who to trust and stuff could be distorted to evade the possibility of quote unquote losing a meaningless non-competition of like this little subtle losing of the mind, this little like ego wound. And now it is time for another segment of Technology Can't Save Us. Okay, so obviously technology alone can't save us, but I wonder if there might be a way to have sort of like a platforms of freedom, socio-technological fix, some sort of help for dealing with this sort of internet debate interaction. Yeah, I think technology definitely can't save us, but it might be able to help us on this kind of stuff. Because like, yeah, I've spent a lot of time watching people argue with each other on the internet, and it feels like people make a lot of the same mistakes over and over again, all the time. And there might be ways for technology to help us mediate conversations between people to help them be a little bit more productive. You know, all those sorts of conversational best practices you are told are good things, like try to summarize the other person's position in a way that they agree with. Don't jump to random other topics when you're both discussing one topic. There could be a way of talking to each other where the kind of the tracks of the conversation, there's guardrails on it, right? Like you can only do certain things. So if you want to dispute the definition of a word, maybe you can highlight it, dispute it, and then that puts you down the sub-process where you two work out the definition of that word. It reaches a solution at the end, and then that's your agreed-upon definition of the word. And that sub-process is like, you know, what's your definition? What's your definition? What's your critique of their definition? What's their critique of your definition? Would you accept this reformulation? Like, it can, like, prod people to stay on track and keep things specific. And then once you have that definition, you can get back to the debate. That's the thing that drives me crazy, you know? It's like if you're in an internet debate and you're like really disagreeing with a certain point, it's like you want the resolution on this point. 
Even just acknowledging you heard it and you disagree is interesting enough for me. But when you have these sort of like essay style or paragraph style debates, the whole system is set up to incentivize all of these bad faith behaviors, like slowly tweaking your position in the background and not acknowledging that new information has been received. Anytime you're cornered on something or anytime that you were not right or anytime that you're learning something new, there's this bad faith incentive just to talk about something else or try to frame it in a way where they're kind of pinned. And then if you like pin them, it's like you want to keep on bringing it up over and over again. And it just makes something uncomfortable to participate in or to watch. It's this weird blood sport of arguing on the internet. And when you're talking, it just occurred to me that in the technological sort of hyperlink era that we're in, you can have conversations nested within conversations in a new way. Like it used to be that debates had to be written in essay format. Even the most <laughs> honest debate is happening in essay format, trying to systematically respond to everything and be as gracious as possible, etc. But it does strike me that there's this potential now that we have with these social platforms where you could have hyperlinks that like sort of have tools to nudge each other to define their own terms and something like before you respond to it, it'd be like request definition on this. And there's this thing that pops up and there's a color code for things like there's this outstanding definition needed here. So you can have this really rich and deep discussion, this layered, multi-layered discussion using these sort of like social technological hyperlink collaborative platforms. Yeah, just having the data structure to be like, this is a dispute about this, and this is outstanding, and there's a list of the things that are outstanding, and like, if you want to continue down this branch, I really need you to just check the box on this. Do we agree on this definition or not? Or do you want to submit a different definition? Like, and it's like, there's a record of it. Because like, what could happen currently is like, they might kind of give on the definition in a way that feels, okay, we can move on, but then later we'll like, go back on it and stuff. But if you've like checked the box saying you both agree to this one definition, then at least that's like logged in there. And it's like, we locked that in. If you want to go and open it back up, we can do that. But you have to acknowledge you're opening it back up after you locked it in or like it's like clear because it's structured that way. I've had so many interactions where I would really just love the ability to sort of like challenge someone to a duel, like a debate duel and saying like, I have confidence in my convictions on this. You have confidence in your convictions of this, this paragraph style, debate style, is it moving us anywhere? Like I challenge you to meet me in the dome where there's rules, where we both have to be fundamentally accountable to the point of like acknowledging when we learn new things and stuff like that as part of the rules of it. Maybe you could even have it like where you crowdsource or pay to have a live moderator, a live neutral moderator who's like working according to certain principles. Like you could shape a lot through the forms and the questions and the process and all that sort of stuff and have incentives be baked into the system. But I also feel like a good moderator could make a huge difference in making really accountable discussions that are about coming to the truth together and don't fall into like the theatrics, which, you know, have their place. But I love the idea of trying to build a space where the theatric elements are just under undermined by all these systems of accountability. I definitely agree that having a human being in the mix moderating things would really take this kind of thing to the next level because like inevitably not every conversation fits into some robotic mold of like 
this element clearly defined here down this argument tree and like that sort of like rationalistic debate fantasy like i feel like we can make something like that and it'll be a fun game to play with people but if you really want to hash things out i do think that like human moderators are gonna be essential to like certain versions of that one of the maybe more fanciful maybe not fanciful thoughts i had about this was giving people a space to vent where you like type out your vent thoughts or like the mean things you want to say and then those can just like maybe get stored maybe just like toss them into the fire right away but you know that you get their answer back on something and it's like are they understanding what you're saying and you're like no and it's like oh that's frustrating do you want to like vent still letting people express that stuff but then the next question is like now try to phrase it more positively <laughs> and then that's what actually like gets sent to the other person i like the idea too of maybe you can customize it whether it's going to be a public debate or not or like how long it would be before it became public and like you could toggle whether or not to have the venting box and how long to have the venting box be sealed so like the default <laughs> would be that the venting box would be sealed at least as long as the debate is completed so it doesn't affect the course of the debate like i love the idea of like talking to the audience of the future like smarmily insulting and joking about what idiots they are <laughs> but in a context which it doesn't affect the trajectory of our discussion and which you might also even see it's like it starts in the earlier ones with more thinking they're idiots and then the later ones like you know what actually we've made some progress here and like it's just it's interesting to think of like a little private journal of your yeah the blurts whatever things are coming to mind like oh man they always do this thing and it's because they have this flaw and uh, you just like write all that shit <laughs> and it gets put off to the side and yeah maybe it's unlocked at the end of the debate maybe you both set a two-year timer you know you'll both have moved on by then probably <laughs> just like you open it up two years later and just that's that's fascinating to think i mean i, I think that is a little bit of a i'd say i call that a stretch goal there's something beautiful like uh, the polemics polemics can be beautiful as well they just really do cloud people's thinking if their dignity is impugned so that's why you gotta do it privately <laughs> yeah i just thought like it, it happens so much like that we might just have to build it into the system somehow to allow some release valve for that stuff because you know these are important topics and it, you, get, you get riled up talking about them sometimes you know th this could be a path towards a keyboard warrior like sport where keyboard warrioring could be something that society takes a little more seriously, you know? If not in the comment section, where do the critics of society really belong? How do we get critics banging their ideas across each other? I just imagine like this whole Twitch channel and stuff of like covering all these detailed debates and people are having like multiple debates at once and stuff. Yeah, and people have stats like, oh, this person has a high rate of not resolving disputed definitions. This person has a high rate of single instances of claims that they don't reach a conclusion on like you never check the box saying yes they were right even though you have no more arguments and you've just left that whatever you call that in the in the right. sport it's like they have a high rate of that oh it, yeah uh, he's a bad boy he leaves people hanging like that <laughs> he says some stuff that should probably be left for the venting box that's what i love about him <laughs> it's the whole uh celebrity construct hierarchical system and just be such a great way to like bring out the absolute worst in people even in a context designed not to although it might sort of help to stress test the system you get like debate bro type people like using it all the time and you're like oh here's 
places where like we need to push harder against people's like egotistical or dishonest self-preservation instincts like yeah i could imagine a couple of different varieties on the potentials that are open the potentials for human freedom that would be opened up by producing some sort of reliable guardrail system for healthy organized substantiated discussions and debates which are accountable I think it's a great idea. I, I think that is a place where advancements in technology can help to save us. To be frank, dare I say it, it sounds like that could actually really help in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think we could save ourselves using technology. Right, and the power of that really does not come from the technology, but the wisdom about how to have good structured conversations, which comes from people, but then also the inputs that are coming from users is really what's going to create the value on something like this. But I think that is a cool platform of freedom idea. I think we're going to need a lot of platforms of freedom like that in this area and others if we want to turn the digital information age into one that is liberatory and not repressive. It becomes really easy to focus on the repressive potentials of these technologies. And it's important to remember that they also hold a lot of potential for like really great stuff that could help people have more harmonious, just, fruitful, meaningful lives together. We've got an ongoing series for donors and you know members of the Seriously Wrong community. So I just wanted to give a shout out for that. It's how we're able to put on the show, how we're able to do this stuff. If you chip in six bucks a month, you get access to a bunch of bonus episodes, including our Platforms of Freedom series, where we talk about other platforms of freedom than that one, although that one will probably come up again at some point in the future. And we also investigate advancements and ideas and proposals within the world of the socio-technological matrix that are actually starting to happen now. So if you're not already a member and donor to the show, hey, why not chip in six bucks a month? That's sweet six. It makes a huge difference and allows us to put out more content, do more research, and hopefully over time grow to the point where we can hire people and do a lot more stuff. So a little shout out to that. And thanks to people who already donate. That's it. We couldn't do the show without you. Absolutely. We wouldn't be able to do this if we didn't have enough money to live. So yeah, just yeah. Thanks again. Okay, folks, this is Felix Bowens here. I've got a bombshell tape that's been dropped off at my office by a whistleblowing informant. I'm not going to be doing any sponsored messaging, just straight to the juice. I'm going to pop this tape in because this is such a bombshell. This is so huge. Everyone's got to hear this. Bill Gates, how's it going? Oh, George Soros, good to see you. I just got back from this incredible island vacation. It was a blast. What a coincidence. I was just on island vacation as well. It's great being able to go to an island whenever you want. So relaxing. And you know what else was relaxing me? The seriously wrong podcast that you sent me. I'm so pleased by how mentally enslaved they are by our hypnosis. Like, it's all going to plan. Exactly, because I was like listening at first. I was like, these are some critical thinkers. Are they going to see through our lies and our deceptions? And I was like, oh, thank God. They've taken the bait, hook, line, and sinker, and now they're just a little fish on the line for us here at the top. And then masquerading it as free thought. They have no idea that we stole the election. They have no idea that we created coronavirus. <laughs> whoopsie. <laughs> well, not whoopsie. It was all part of a plan. <laughs> Feels so good to say. Getting it off my tongue. I would never say that on TV. I'd never say that on mainstream media. We stole the election. <laughs> this is so thrilling. I don't know. Do you want to just like fully confess to each other what we're doing just sort of for the thrill of it? I mean, no one's around. Nobody's recording. So why not detail out the whole plot? 
the CIA and FBI, they had thousands of agents voting multiple times in elections. They'd go there in disguises. Mustache, hat, sunglasses. One time in a suit, another time in a dress, another time jumpsuit, sweats. And, you know, they're going in with the IDs of people who are dead or just completely fictional people. We had thousands of suitcases stuffed with completely fake ballots, polling workers, changing votes with pencil erasers and scanning ballots multiple times for Biden. We created this whole lie of the paper trails, the audit trails, VVPATs. You know, it's all just a lie. We created, we had sleeper cells fake the data. We changed the vote totals from Italy remotely. We moved them to Italy, changed them. We had all these secret 5G chips installed on every voting machine and that connected directly to the headquarters in Italy. But the real servers were in Germany. Of course. Obviously. We created a new type of encryption where the signal itself is fully hidden, invisible. And the secret of that is obviously from the sacred power of the magic sword. Yeah, all those scientists wondering, oh, why haven't we been able to analyze the sword for public science? And it's like, uh, we're using it to impose our will in secret. If they knew half of our Hitlerian sword magic, they would be up in arms. So that's why... That's why I'd never say this in public. And then SEAL Team 6 comes in, tries to steal the files, but we sent right. wave after wave of Italian police to stop them. Mm -hmm. Heroic battle, hundreds of Italian police secretly died. Yeah, it was totally covered up. And that. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, when something like that happens and then you fully cover it up, it feels. Uh, it's amazing. You know, for us, it's about control. That's what makes us tick. It's also just fun to get away with something. It's like sneaky fun, you know? Oops. Right under people's noses, you know? Yeah, and we put messages in TV about this, and they still don't notice. You know, we hide these secret messages on SNL and in sitcoms, and <laughs> yeah, they don't even see it. Is, it's so fun to do that. Yeah, and if people start asking too many questions... Just add them to the Clinton death count, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, the Clintons have endless creative ways to cover up their killings of people. It's too bad they're not here to confess with us. They would, they would be overjoyed. You know, Bill and I sometimes have little confessionals on the phone together. Bill, Clinton, obviously. You, Bill Gates, mm -hmm. and I have a different sort of relationship. Relation, different yeah. Bill. Good friends. Good, good friends. Crazy thing is that the predictions of like when Trump would come back, you know, first January 6th, then March 4th, and then August 13th, a lot of people interpreted that as sort of like a cargo cult you know when the end of the world doesn't come and the cult leader says oh no it's really coming at this other date but the reality is that you know trump was going to be reinstated as president every one of those times until we were very sneaky and we stopped him even on smaller scale things like the wrong boys debating with their internet friend who it seemed like wasn't reading their posts or wasn't reading the articles but really like we just went in and changed those science articles ourselves and even went so far as to change subtly the ways posts were worded in both directions to increase confusion removing the word i think in front of us statement or yeah adding words like unlike you or i expected better yeah sometimes it's hard to turn these naturally gracious and attentive internet commenters against each other we really pulled out all the stops every avenue was explored and exploited we even had tom hanks bring all of his subterranean slaves up from underneath the compound and had them go and vote so not a stone was left unturned we did it all sipping tropical drinks while we relax and scheme and plot which is really what i love doing scheming and plotting i know you're a big schemer a big plotter right i mean this is the first step towards the thrill of the confession the thrill of the private confession that no one will ever hear sorry thomas could you uh, freshen our drinks oh and take this weird thing thomas i don't know what it is it's like a microphone i don't know i didn't notice it until now but it looks weird 
I thought it was decorative, that old-timey microphone-looking thing. It's like a funny lamp or something. Right, yeah, like an old-time sort of radio, like 1920s, 30s radio decorative lamp. Is that what it is? Oh, that is what it is. Okay, thank you. And fresh in the drinks? Please, Thomas. A shocking tape. Blowing it all open. The facts on the table. I'm Felix Bones, and this is Narrative Wars. I have with me now here the wrong boys, Sean and Aaron, the subjects of the scheming and meddling of our secret masters. Now, Sean and Aaron, this is a troubling tape, and it appears the ruling elite are targeting you specifically with disinformation. Do you now admit the election may be stolen? Oh, absolutely not. I would be very comfortable saying, and I think Sean is also comfortable saying, that this is 100% a forgery. We believe in these systems fully based on our online research, and no forgery is going to shake that, okay? Absolutely. I think it's embarrassing that anyone would believe this. Sort of look at them like, huh? Like, are you all right? But boys, this tape has been authenticated now by numerous independent agencies. No less than a dozen high-level whistleblowers have come out and confirmed its accuracy. This is no longer a matter of speculation. These are as hard facts as we ever see. I personally would like to just know what other motivations those quote-unquote whistleblowers have for saying that. Because, I mean, it's baffling, really, why they would lie. They're working for Russia, maybe? Yeah. Maybe someone's threatening their families, like, with a gun, like, we'll kill them if you don't say it. That would make sense. You know, Felix, sometimes you just have to pick apart these lies. This is one of those cases, you know? It's a clean election, legitimate, clean president. That's enough of this, okay? It's nonsense. Forgeries. No, no, it it really seems like you two are refusing to look at the evidence, which is plainly in front of all of our eyes, just because you previously committed to a position in public. Why are you so invested in your fragile egos, and why can't you just say, I was wrong? It's not a big deal to be wrong. Now, the evidence is clear. Look, it is a big deal, Felix, to say you were wrong when you weren't. It's a huge deal, Felix. We would never say that, no matter the evidence. The evidence that would cause us to say that couldn't exist, right? It couldn't happen. And that actually just makes us more certain that we're right, because they wouldn't make all these forgeries. Like, why would they keep on making these forgeries if they weren't really worried about what we've found out, what we've stumbled onto? Now, the election's legitimate. That's the real question. That's the real question. We're expected to eat this rotten food of a narrative? No thanks. Yeah, we don't gobble the lies. Yeah, if you brought us here today, Felix, to gobble some lies, well then, sorry. You're out of luck. We only eat the truth. And so, despite the wrong boys obstinately refusing to admit that they'd made an innocent mistake, the evidence was now clear. And so naturally, it's serious people from all sides of the political spectrum, because we have more in common than we have different, came together to take on the elite for once. Rachel Maddow, the Q Shaman, Anthony Fauci, Mike Lindell, the Mike Pillow guy, the cast and writers of SNL, you know, everyone was able to come together and rationally look at the facts. They teamed up with all three formerly disagreeing triplets, the two adult children of the old married deathbed guys, the single mother conspiracy theorist, Felix Bones, and the normal tonight guy. They all wanted to come together to impartially look at the facts and come to conclusions together. The wrong boys weren't interested in that. They're too caught up in the zero-sum internet debate mentality to really look at the evidence. The cowardice was staggering to anyone who read the full conversation. 
And so the power of the secret elite, which the wrong boys had now been made willing pawns of, mere rubes perhaps. Yeah, rubes, rubes is appropriate. The secret elite, they're swift in their response. Both headline block and headline cops were fully implemented. Perfect information control under the direction of the hierarchical leadership of both state and market forces. They arrested every free thinker in America and put them in election fraud camps where they were assigned prison labor and their job for the rest of their lives was to continue stealing elections for people like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. Mike Lindell tragically was shot in his own home in a midnight no-knock raid. And even this didn't awaken the wrong boys from their slumber. Some people were just too far gone. Yeah, unfortunately, because the wrong boys had been in a heated internet argument about this issue on the wrong side of history, they couldn't accept it because to accept that they were mistaken was a mismatch with their own sense of self. Their own idea of themselves as a skeptical, independent researcher would be shattered if they admitted that they'd been taken in as a rube. So they were never able to see the truth. And the secret elite were able to take control. The end. So should we should we tell the audience what happened? Like, should we? Did we convince him? Did he see the light? <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. All this happened months ago. Now, months and months ago, and he still believes that the election was a fraud. We still don't. He still believes coronavirus is. I think his official position is that it was real, but it's currently not real or something. It, there was some okay, I remember conv- that. convoluted. The first wave was a bioweapon, but the second wave was fear-mongering in the media, and it's just gone. It doesn't yeah, like they changed anymore. the tests or something. And, and so, yeah, nobody was convinced of anything. And in fact, we just have a worse relationship with this person as a result of all of this. He did acknowledge that one thing, that paper ballots thing, and that this one this one hydra head of the conspiracy was lopped off, at least temporarily. For all we know, he might still be out there just believing it again. Not to be overly cynical, like I don't want to treat conspiracy theorists like they aren't capable of reason or something, or they're just like automatons. But I think interacting with us for him was not fun. It was challenging. It was directly challenging on facts in a lot of ways that like the people, the grifters who set him up on this false trajectory, they didn't give him the tools to take on a conversation like the one that he entered with us. Like it's not a fun thing, but it is fun to go down the wormhole and it is fun to be like, what if? And it is fun to imagine all these different scenarios. So I see our impact on him dwindling over time while all of those reinforcement mechanisms, there's an addictive quality to it, you know, to keep on hitting that spot of the, the fascination, the possibility. I saw someone on Twitter say this after we posted the first episode that we were maybe debating a feeling more so than debating any of these particular facts like that that's what was relevant just this sense of like things are going badly and like i feel like it's closing in on us they've stolen this election the coronavirus situation the lockdowns all of it just this feeling of like the elites are closing in on me and like justifying that. And it wouldn't really matter what facts we brought to the table, because unless we could change the world, change the situation so that there wasn't so much 
horror going on right now therefore there being this need to like explain it in a framework that like makes sense to you based on how you've seen the world in the past and whatnot when i think about it like that i have more sympathy for him than when i think about all these specific debates and the ways in which i felt like he was being dishonest when i think about him being scared about what's going on in the world and trying to find ways to explain it to himself it doesn't make it okay but it makes it less alien to me like why why is he why is he doing this i still don't know what to do about it well, and this this coming up during the time of coronavirus also just makes sense and that we're living through this really sort of scary and unsettling time where it really is more of a challenge now than in earlier eras of my life to just feel like everything's probably going to be okay because we're seeing all these things like not being okay and we're seeing the governments and corporations fail to address medical crises. I, I feel like I've just gotten a sense for the first time of like, oh, when the effects of climate change are reaching higher extremes and they're reaching now, it's really likely the political class is going to be sitting on their hands and fucking it up just like they fucked up coronavirus. And like that sense of hopelessness is something that I don't think I'd ever felt as strong as in the coronavirus crisis personally. I think a lot of people are feeling sort of alien and distant and we're having less social interactions than we're used to. And like, there's all this stuff going on. You know, he's dealing with that. The QAnon people are dealing with that. And the general like right wing headline internet <laughs> conspiracy world, they live in a more terrifying world than we do in some ways because they feel like they can see all this true stuff that other people can't see that they're sort of like stigmatized for and use the metaphor of the world closing in on you. Like I can really sort of empathize with that in a way. If everything he thought was true, everything he expressed to us was true, and Hillary Clinton, you know, had a dungeon of sex slaves, and coronavirus was a bioweapon, and now it's fake, and the election was stolen from Trump, who was the only politician who actually stood up against these systems and all this sort of stuff that's just obviously you know, not true. But if it were true, if I believed it was true and I lived in this world and, you know, I'm trying to tell my friends about it, I'm trying to tell the people I care about about it, and they're reacting by putting me into a box, uh, labeling me some way, and basically saying that they think my input doesn't have any value, I think that could be really upsetting and, and, and further alienating. But at the same time, I don't, I'm not really ready to prescribe that people don't laugh at this stuff and don't try to make a joke of it because I think that might even be the best of a couple bad options. But I, I, I don't know how to best deal with it. Yeah, it's hard. But also, like, it's kind of impossible to not make a joke of it sometimes because some of the stuff is just so funny. When you actually look into it, you can't help it but laugh. But it's also really sad. Thinking about this, thinking about people being misled in moments like these, it seems very clear to me that both the state and the market are ill-equipped to deal with building a positive information space online, how to deal with misleading headlines within a state capitalist system seems impossible because the fundamental motivation to lie to people in almost every one of these instances is 
personal gain, profit, power in either the market or the political system. We've set up these hierarchical ways of managing society. Those with the most capital, those with the most political power decide how things go. And people mislead the public in order to get it and in order to maintain it. And until we have a system that doesn't have that fundamental motivation, I feel like these types of lies are going to continue to be perpetrated on people and we're going to continue to have mass misinformation campaigns that are well-funded in order to benefit powerful people. Until they're no longer motivated to do that, it's going to keep happening. This thing that's happening that causes people to die in ICUs having rejected vaccines and the thing that's causing people to do things like storm the Capitol or go through the barricades, pick fights with the police over lies about election fraud, this is the result of public relations campaigns that are done intentionally. The intellectual basis of our society is corrupted by parasitic for-profit forces who want to prevent us from being able to reason together. They use reasonable questions people have about the system to basically trick them into wormholes of thought, which can never serve them, which teach them to look away from evidence and teach them to come to conclusions before they've evaluated and considered all possibilities. And I think conspiracy theory in general can even be blamed on hierarchical information systems. Like even the best, most correct conspiracy theory relies making all these guesses from being in this information vacuum caused by these hierarchical powers that don't distribute information to those who it's relevant to. So on top of that, I mean, like even at every level, I think we shouldn't be blaming individuals for this. We should be looking at the systems. There's so many examples that came up through this investigation, whether it's Nations in Action, Project Veritas. There's a variety of different brokers in these sorts of lies, serving these sorts of political ends. It's a type of intellectual violence against the vulnerable. It's exploiting people, and it's, it's immoral, and it, it, there should be some way that people can come together and stand against that in a meaningful way. We can't just let the rich put out a bunch of profitable lies with 100 times the power that not-for-profit truth can spread. Because, yeah, I mean, people on an individual level, we can also spread information about how to not be victimized by disinformation, and that's definitely helpful. But we need to get to the root of the problem. We can't just expect individuals to know whether or not the headline they're reading is reflecting the contents of the article accurately. I mean, that's just an unreasonable expectation. We need to put the burden on these institutions. And start building our own institutions, because ultimately, like... If we want a better information world, we have to start prefiguring that ourselves. We have to start creating solutions to these problems, to specific versions of these problems on smaller scales and bigger scales, to the extent that we can with the tools that we currently have, which for the record are really powerful, like computers are very powerful tools which is kind of the whole problem, like how easily disinformation is spreading over these networks. But if we want solutions to these misleading headlines, to these lies being spread by powerful people that don't rely on the market solving the problem and don't rely on the government regulating the problem away necessarily, if we want real community solutions that come from the bottom up that are neither state nor market, truly mutual aid information fact-checking, interpretation, understanding communities that can work together to try and fix these problems. We have to build that ourselves. We have to build it together. We have to build it and then use it 
to fight back against this stuff or to override this stuff, to become more powerful than it, to stamp out the bad information systems with better information systems that we build together. This has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. You made it to almost the end. Yeah, you wouldn't want to miss what's coming up at the end end. Don't stop now. If you look at the timer on the podcast, there's still enough left for real content there. Like right now, this is part of the end. This is sort of like the down ramp coming to the end. But then it's like, you know, we don't want to just end on a down ramp. It's like you want to have a little bouquet at the end. So that's what we've done. Produce the bouquet. Hopefully you like the show as much as we like making it. If you want to become a donor to the community, you can get us at patreon.com slash seriously wrong. Get access to all the bonus episodes. There's also a contact form on our website. Uh, We love to hear from people, ideas that were inspired by the show or things that you want to see us cover or just feedback on what we're doing. Anything like that is super greatly appreciated. You can also leave reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and the rest of them and all that. Tell your friends about the show. Any of these things is massively, massively useful to us. The greatest gift you can give us as a podcast, any of those things really, really helps. I'm also especially curious to hear on social media comments or whatever, what solutions do you think are there to problems like this? What experiences do you have with your family members and stuff like that? We put our episodes up on YouTube, often a vibrant comment section there as well. Really curious to hear from people about how they've been dealing with this reality bifurcation, this multiple parallel realities supported by institutions thing that we've seen over the coronavirus crisis and people in their lives who have been touched by these hostile information systems. So look forward to hearing from all of you on that in the days to come. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you so much. And now we'll go to the bouquet. Thank you. People, they're just living normal lives. They're just trying to get by. They just want to be happy. Cause believe it or not, sheeple are just like you and me. Sheeple is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Okay, I think I've got my elaborate and comical scheme to trick Zach into critical thinking. Okay, okay, where are my lobster traps? (laughs) I think I need to test this Rube Goldberg machine again. If it doesn't work, this whole thing could fall apart. Zach, what are you doing here? And why do you look so sad? Oh, Lambert, it's that obvious, huh? You look like you just saw your family get turned into lamb kebabs. You know, it's been so long since Critically Thinking She put out a video, and I'm waiting and waiting, and while well, it dropped. Oh, here, will you just watch it with me? I don't, it's easier than explaining. Just, oh, I'll show for, you. For sure, yeah. Hi, everyone. Critically Thinking Sheep here. Sure, you're wondering where I've been. I've decided I need to be honest with my community. I'm a proud sheeple, a proud sheep, and I've been serving a wolf agenda for a long time, and I've known it was wrong, and I kept doing it for money, and I need to put forward a full confession. Wolves with nice watches and suits kept taking me out for dinner, giving me money. They had a candidate, Wolf Sheep Murder, and they wanted a flock of sheep to support him uncritically. They told me his name was just a way to trigger sheep and it wasn't serious, and I took the money. But I soon realized it's not just the name. Wolf Sheep Murder really does want to murder sheep. And that's supposed to be a surprise? (laughs) Anyway, I told myself I was doing some sort of satire, that no one would really go to the slaughterhouse expecting a slide. But then I started getting emails. I'm going to the slaughterhouse tomorrow. Thanks for being the only person I trust. 
I just ended my marriage because my husband didn't understand the truth about Wolf's sheep murder, and now I'm taking my children to the slaughterhouse. Thank you for everything. They paid me more and more, but it, it wasn't enough. I, I can't stand the parade of death. The line of innocent faces walking into the meat grinder, all for my private benefit. I can no longer do this show. I can't lie to people anymore. Anyone who participates in the Storm the Slaughterhouse event will be killed. Don't go. What we really need to do to solve this crisis of disinformation might sound utopian, but it's the only choice we have. We need to start engaging people from a young age in critical democratic processes. We need to build a society which doesn't shut people out and make their voices not matter. We need a system which doesn't have information silos and hierarchies which leave gaps in the information that require speculation and conspiracy to make sense of. We need to make sure it's no longer safe and profitable to traffic in lies for profit and power as I've done. We need solutions that are commonly held and operated, neither state nor market, to allow people to make sense of the world together in an organized way. And we need to dissolve the power of the wolves at the top into the hands of the sheep and into the hands of everyone. A commune of communes, where resources are distributed according to need. An ecological and directly democratic sheep society. Otherwise we'll be cursed with these lies and distortions that wedge gaps between us and our neighbors forever. We'll be unable to fulfill the promise of Sheeptopia, a land where all can speak and reason together. Reason towards increasing freedom. If you believe my lies, I'm sorry. But the truth can set us free. I'm sorry for what I did. Now we can start the work of rebuilding. The truth is more complex, more varied, and more beautiful than the lies I was paid to tell. Wolf sheep murderer is a liar, a criminal, and a murderer of sheep like us. And sheep need to recognize that the wolves in power want to eat us. We can't build conspiracies to pretend that's not the case. This will be the last video I make. I wish you all well in your lives. Remember, think critically. You can see now why I'm so upset. Yeah, geez. That's tough. Good on him. I think it's good for you. I mean, to confront the fact that critically thinking sheep was lying this whole time Wait. and that this is all a scam is probably hey, going to be no, good no, no, for no. you. Uh, it's never easy scam. to be wrong, I don't know. but now you can start building up from a solid foundation. So Okay, so obviously they got to him, <laughs> right? I don't know if they're threatening his family. I don't know if they just paid him off. Uh, Earth to Zach. <laughs> He's telling the truth right now. This just makes it more clear than ever. I need to join that protest at the slaughterhouse. Zach! Nope. I've made up my mind. You're a brainwashed slave to the system, and I'm a free-thinking sheep on my way to the slaughterhouse. Good day to you, Lambert. Oh, man. Later that night. Now welcome back to Action Sheep News. Tonight, tragedy at the slaughterhouses. Now despite multiple warnings from sheep leadership, the Storm the Slaughterhouse event went forward when members of a fringe conspiracy group broke into the slaughterhouse. These tragic sheep were immediately captured, held, and processed for meat. Among those deceased in today's disaster include local goofball and beloved roommate, Zach Shepherdry. Jesus Christ. He was 25. Imagine having a roommate like that. Not too.